The Fake Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison and Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Eli Roth is considered the horror guru, having directed such films as Cabin Fever, Hostel, and much more. And as an actor, of course, Eli famously played Donnie the Bear Jew Donowitz in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Now he is hosting the new scary anthology series, Urban Legend. These stories are based on widely shared true stories that happen to a friend of a friend of a friend. And here to talk about it now is Eli Roth. Hey, good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, Eli. Great to have you back on the show. And boy, you have done such great work in the horror genre. And now you're doing this anthology series, Urban Legend for the Travel Channel. There are, of course, tons of urban legends. What was your criteria for for picking the stories? Oh, great question. I, I Look, I love Urban Legend, and I was very honored they asked the producers who had the film rights asked me to continue it as a anthology TV series. And I yeah. said that the, the best urban legends are ones that are so nuts, but still really feel like they could have happened. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's, it, 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 we can flesh anything out into, you know, a half-hour story, but for me, it's got to feel like, to me, it's like the scuba diver in the tree was the perfect example, uh-huh. where, you know, couples walking and they look up in a tree and they see a burned scuba diver and realize <laughs> there was a forest fire and the guy was scuba diving in a lake and the helicopter with a basket of water scooped him up and dropped him in a forest fire. Now, it sounds so ridiculous, but I was like, I, that, that could have happened. Crazier things have happened. Right. The Chosen Doberman, where, you know, the girl comes home and her dog, she gets a dog, a Doberman for security because there were break-ins and and she lives alone, and the dog is choking. She doesn't understand what's going on. So she rushes into the vet. The vet's like, let me keep her here. Let me keep the dog here. Go home. I'll call you when I know what's going on. And so she goes back to her house, and the vet calls her, and is like, we found what's in his mouth. It's fingers. <laughs> someone's in your house. The dog bit off a burglar's hand. It's probably still in your house. Get out of your house. And now it's like the two-fingered burglar is trying to get her. So, you know, And you're like, well, that's ridiculous. But when we grew up, kind of before the Internet, we were kids. Freak each other out telling these stories. Like, no, dude, I swear, some kid's older brother would be like, no, I know the girl that happened to it. Like, I know her. Well, I don't know her, but I know her best friend and her best friend. You know, th- those are, you know, there were these fun stories. Um, you know, next week is the harvest where it's like this guy went on a date with a girl and then he blacked out and he woke up. He's a bathtub full of ice and his kidneys were missing. So, right. th- these are like these, these kind of classic stories that just grew and grew and grew. And I was. Growing up, the show Night Gallery, you know, the Rod Serling series, kind of very similar to me. There was a lot of urban legend type of thing, you know, the earwig, very dark. But yeah, you're right about the whole thing about it being believable as crazy as it is. That that was the criteria. Look, I loved Night Gallery and Spielberg directed episodes of that and Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Tales from the Crypt. And, uh, you know, I look back at those episodes and a lot of my favorite directors either started out, you know, or doing amazing stories, like started out doing those episodes or, or got their break doing one. And that's what I like is finding this new kind of generation of directors. So with Travel Channel um, in particular, I said, you know, where a lot of horror goes wrong is where you try to stretch it to fill, to fill the time, you know, you make a scene boring. And I said, I don't want to do that. I said, let me just do the tightest, scariest story. And then whatever left over time, I'll just interview the director. 
because I want to know how they did it and how they pulled it off and who are they and what are their films. And nice. Get to know them. So it's, we do a thing called Filmmaker to Filmmaker where we spotlight the director. The episodes also stream on Discovery Plus because Discovery Plus owns travel. You can watch the episode and watch the Filmmaker to Filmmaker on Discovery Plus. Eli, we've talked about this before, your prolific work in Cabin Fever and Hostel and The Green Inferno, which I loved. And you're so good at that horror genre. Was this something you started as a kid? Because I seem to recall you, you know, shooting your own films on Super 8 with your friends and stuff. Yeah, it was my favorite thing. I was obsessed with horror movies. They were very forbidden, sort of before cable, before VHS. Like, yeah. I was too young to see in the theater, so someone's older brother would tell you about all these things you weren't supposed to see. But I just loved scary stories. It was my favorite, favorite, favorite thing. Maybe because life was just so normal and safe for me. And I don't know where it comes from. I just, I love them. So all I would do was go, how would I pull off a decapitation? How could I do a fake head? Where would I put the camera? So you start doing it. And, and when you pull it off and you can do it on, with a video camera and your friends on a weekend and then showing it to another group of friends, it's just like people lose their minds. It's so great. It's, it's the greatest thrill to make a room full of people scream and jump and then ultimately laugh and hopefully applaud. It's, uh, even in hospital, people were running out of the theaters vomiting. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we had two ambulance calls. The first screening, a person passed out on the escalator, one person thought they were having a heart attack. Like, that to me is, that's like a five-star review. <laughs> like that's fantastic. What do you remember about the auditioning process? What was that like with Quentin Tarantino? Because I had heard, I mean, it's pretty common knowledge by now, that Adam Sandler was actually uh, the guy that uh, Quentin had in mind before you actually got the role. Well, that was, you know, at a certain point, I, mean, I remember when Quentin read me the scene of the Bear Jew in 2004, December of 2004, um, when I read Hostel to him, and we wrote, he, we spent the day at his house, and he gave me notes on Hostel. This is before he officially came on as a producer. Yeah. He was just helping me, you know, as a friend. And then he read the Bear Jew scene with Hitler, talking about the Bear Jew, and he goes, you know who I think would be really cool? Adam Sandler. He's like, we've never seen him be a badass. And then when it came, you know, five years later, the time to make the movie, for whatever reason, either it wasn't right, or he wasn't available, or they moved on from that idea, but Quentin was like, he knew I was from Boston. He knew me really well. He's like, I just see you in this part. I just know that you can do it. Um, and I had acted for him in Death Proof, and he, I could, I'd really love to build a character for you. So he didn't even audition me. Turns out, because he was auditioning everybody in town, was like any kind of Jewish guy my age was going in for the role. And he wasn't calling me. And I realized, he told me later, that he already had me in his head cast. And he was auditioning everyone else against me to be like, well, not better than Eli, not better than Eli. So, you know, he kind of took me out to dinner before he left. He's like, dude, I'm going to Berlin tomorrow. Let's go to dinner. I'm, I'm starving. So we went to dinner, and he's like, but listen, when you do Dono, it's got to be like a 360-degree character. It can't just be, I was like, wait, wait, wait. Are you saying I got the role? He's like, yeah, listen, when you do the part, you've got to be like, I don't know his back. So I was like, wait, should we have like a, like a toast or something? He's like, yeah, cheers, listen. When you do the part, it really needs to be like, it was, it was complete afterthought. I was like, were you going to tell me at some point that I had the part? He goes, because you always had the part. Everyone's just auditioning against you. I'm like, thanks for letting me know. My so God. Cool. Well, I can't imagine anyone else in the role, obviously. Um, I've heard interview an interview with Diane Kruger, one of your castmates in that film, and she said, you know, it's the typical thing where he collects everybody's cell phones, but somebody still had one and the phone rang and, and Quentin flipped out a little bit. I don't know if you were aware of that or, or were around at that point. Luckily, I was not on set that day. Yeah. <laughs> with... Uh, with uh... I think it was, was it Rod Steiger? Um, Rod, um, no, what's his name from the birds? Rod Taylor. And he was the scene with Mike Myers. And 
we, we had a guy, we called him Checkpoint Charlie, because we were shooting in Berlin, and you check your cell phone with them before you walk into set. No cell phones on set. And if your phone rings, he shuts down shooting for the day. They'll probably fire you. Yeah. They never found out who it was. But I, I had heard about it. And Quentin was pissed, because Quentin's like, you know, do that shit in your trailer. Quentin doesn't have, like, a, he doesn't even have a trailer. He's, like, on set the whole time. What am I sitting in my trailer for? I need to be on set. That doesn't surprise me at all. Before I let you go, I had heard this interesting fact about you, as if there aren't a ton, but that you, to fund your films when you were in college, you were working as, as an online cyber sex worker for Penthouse, yes? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was. This was the early days of the internet, 1992, and it's only doctors and scientists, and they would only hire, they hired four guys out of their way, because they know that guys are, like, filthy enough to know what other guys want to hear. Uh-huh. And it, it got crazy, though, because there was one of the guys was, like, accepting cash, and he's like, you know, I, I, I have to quit my job and go back to stripping. And it was like, but it was really funny, because I, like, I, I don't know, the last night we did it, we outed ourselves. We were like, we are guys. We have penises. We are men. <laughs> and the guy's like, shut up, Tammy. Tell me what you're wearing. Like, Dude, I'm serious. Like, it's, it's guys. Like, Penthouse only hires guys. Like, we were quitting. We were, like, turning in our terminals. We're going to be gone. So we're like, oh, my God, Tammy, you are so funny. You're like, haha, you literally have the best sense of humor. I wish I could meet you in real life. It's that like, is hilarious. A minute talk to us. Didn't want to know the truth. The latest so. great uh, stuff from our friend Eli Roth is Urban Legends on the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus. New episodes on Fridays. Eli, I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much. Great talk to you. I love the story about working for Penthouse when he was in college. Another interesting fact about Eli Roth is that he hates the sight of real blood. Fake blood's okay, though. Well, that does it for this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.